Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, March 7, 2021. Its focus is on Jesus' instructions to his disciples as they prepare to go on their first ministry trip without him. The message to all who will listen is God calls us to go to specific people in specific places with the nearer-than-you-think kingdom message. Now here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, we invite you to speak to us. We invite you to use your word to convict and correct and rebuke and train in righteousness because we need it. We want to follow our flesh way too often. And so God, help us to hear your spirit's words and so that we know how to walk by the spirit this week. And thank you for your presence with us, and I trust that you're going to speak in Jesus' name. Amen. So next month, my brother and sister-in-law are going to Hawaii. I wish that my wife and I were going with them, but alas, the timeshare that they're getting for free is a one-bedroom affair, and they're not willing to share. When they were here last weekend, my brother kept talking about what they were planning to do during their visit to the 50th state. He would just drop little hints, little things. He would say, we might swim with sea turtles while we're in Hawaii, or we'll have fresh pineapple every day when we're in Hawaii, or our condo is right on the beach in Hawaii. We hope to see whales while we're in Hawaii. We could bring back some coffee for you from Hawaii. I would take that. Every time he would say these things, he'd kind of smirk. And I think he was trying to get at my mom. I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm her favorite. And so, you know, he, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> anyway, he knew the rest of us, of course, were a tad jealous of the opportunity that he and his wife had to fly to this island paradise that we have all dreamed of going to someday. Who wouldn't want to go? It's a gorgeous place, a beautiful place. Waterfalls dropping from green jungle cliffs, giant waves crashing against lava shores, volcanoes spewing forth red lava, heavily laden tables at luau's, palm trees swaying along white sand beaches. It's probably going to be frigid here while it's 80s there. They'll be soaking up rays surrounded by deep blue ocean waters while the rest of us sprint from our car to our house so that we can stay warm. They'll be sipping coconut milk through straws while we're downing hot cocoa. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy for my brother and my sister-in-law. I just wish that I was going to be happy with them there in Hawaii. You download a travel brochure from Hawaii and you'll read about the wonderful memories you're going to create during your visit. You'll hear of all the adventure and excitement which awaits you in a place where bad things never happen. Now, those of you who are older and wiser know better than that. We've seen every episode of Hawaii Five-0 and Magnum P.I. and we know they're bad guys there. Book them, Dano. Those of you who've been believers for a while following Jesus know that following Jesus isn't all beauty and yippee. 
more often than not, walking by the Spirit is difficult. Doing what's right by God causes more than a few difficulties in life. Jesus, just before his arrest and crucifixion, said it plainly enough. He said, I have told you these things. This is John 16, 33, by the way. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our Savior promises peace and problems. You can trust him for the former because the world's going to give you the latter. You'll be given what he offers as the world dishes out what it gives over and over. I'm thankful for the peace of God. It passes all understanding. It's a bit of paradise that I can enjoy right here, right now, without leaving Pratt to visit Hawaii. If you recall, as we wrapped up Matthew 9 last week, we heard Jesus urge his closest companions to pray. Do you remember what he told them to ask God for? Do you remember the context? Let me remind you by reading these verses again. This is Matthew 9, 35 to 38. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The facts are clear enough. People are harassed and helpless. They need good news. They need compassion. Jesus wants his followers to offer both in love, in the power of the Spirit. This is why he tells the 12 in this circumstance to pray for workers. He urges them to pray because they are needed. If kingdom work is going to get done, it's going to be done by them and by those that God uses them to reach. Evidently, they prayed as directed because in chapter 10, they're gathered around their master getting last-minute instructions before heading out to do harvester's work. We read the first five verses of Matthew 10 last week as kind of a little sneak peek just to tell you that they were going to go out. We're going to read what we read again and continue on into the rest of the chapter. What we have in the second half of verse 5 through the end of verse 42, this whole chapter basically, are the words Jesus gave to Peter and James and John and the rest of them to guide them on their first ministry outing without him. These guys had to be more than just a little bit nervous, not knowing what they'd face, and I imagine that they were all ears as Jesus spoke because they were about to do something a little bit scary for them. Shall we read the first little bit of his instructions? We'll start with the words that we read last week in verses 1 through 5 and add a single paragraph. This is what we have from Matthew 10, 1 through 8. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go, rather, to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message 
The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do you know what I noticed right away? Jesus' calling for these men is very specific. He tells them exactly where they're going to go and to whom they're going to speak. The time for ministry among the Gentiles and Samaritans is coming, but not quite here yet. The harvest field that the disciple dozen are assigned to is Israel specifically. The people they're supposed to take them nearer than you think kingdom message to, they're Jewish people, men and women, just like the disciples. God is ready to work mightily among his chosen people at this moment in history. The 12 are the workers that he's sending to accomplish the reaping of a ripe harvest. Jesus tells his crew where to go and what to do and the message that they're going to preach, the kingdom of heaven has come near, and the actions that they're to take, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. He's specific in every detail. Place, people, message what you're supposed to do. There's an interesting story of precise direction in the book of Acts, chapter 16. Years after Jesus sent Philip and Bartholomew and Andrew and all those other guys, these 12, out, Paul and a few others were on this missionary journey. The time of ministry for the Gentiles and the Samaritans had come, and they were taking the good news to nation after nation after nation. So listen to what's said in verses 6 through 10 of Acts 16 about a particular portion of this particular gospel-spreading trek. Acts 16, starting at verse 6, says this. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul and his friends are traveling around. They're preaching wherever they go, but the Holy Spirit has kept them quiet in a couple of places. He said, don't go there. Don't say anything here. Don't know why. Just that's what the Spirit did. God has his reasons, I'm sure. Instead, God wants Paul in Macedonia, so he causes him to dream or to have this vision about a guy from that region saying, come on over here. Amazing, crazy, wow God stuff. Can you imagine going to sleep tonight, awakening from a dream that you see somebody from Cunningham saying, come over here. Does Jesus justice specifically call you and me? Are there certain people he wants us to reach? Or he wants to reach through us. That's really the way it works. Does he have a unique message to speak to them? Are there definite actions that we're to take to bring about the harvest where we are? Now, I'm guessing that you have a special field. It's most likely somewhere near where you're sitting right now. For those of you in this building, it's likely Pratt since you live here, know people here, lost, harassed, and helpless people, just like the people that Jesus saw. Unless God says go to Hawaii as a missionary, assume that you're where he wants you and work here for the growth of his kingdom. Amen?
We work for the growth of his kingdom, the kingdom which is as near today in this place as it was for Jesus and his disciples and Paul and his companions in their day and their places. God's here. And he wants to work through crazy people like you and me. This has implications for every day. As you walk around wherever you are, look for opportunities to speak and to live out the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. It's in you as you're submitted to King Jesus and it, it advances by you being in places and saying things and doing things in the power of the Spirit. Do all that God gives you to do and pray for more harvest hands to join you. The work is meant to be done together with others. This is not a solo run. This is much clearer if we read the parallel passage found in Mark 6, which we'll get to later this year when we're in Mark, but we're going to read it today. Mark's account of the instructions given to the disciples and the sending out is shorter than Matthew's account and adds something I want you to see. Listen to verses 6 through 12 of Mark 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a bag, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil, and healed them. Two. Two men, in this case, two men working together, no one alone, because two are better than one. They can encourage one another. When one feels fearful, the other's faith can keep the duo on task. When one falters, the first guy can pick the other guy up. Solomon, the wise king of Israel, understood this years before Jesus came, years before he sent out the 12 two by two. David's son wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. He said, two are better than one. I've already said that, but I'm going to say it again. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And the third one in that is God. We have each other, but we also have God helping us. We're in this together. That's why we come together every Sunday so we can say, oh yeah, there's other people doing this. Trying to figure out how to follow Jesus and how to tell people the good news. We're in this together. God is with us and for us and we help each other and God helps us all. I have a group of five or six pastors with whom I meet each week, and every Tuesday, one or two or three of us show up at the front porch at 4th and Nineska, and we talk together and pray for each other so that we will remain faithful to do the work of the kingdom. Sometimes the conversations, I have to admit, do take a silly turn or two, but most of the talk is of the spur one another on toward love and good deeds variety. Do you have a friend who encourages you in your faith? Do you do kingdom work together? Praise God for those good companions. If you have them, he gives those companions to us so that we can walk together in the power of the Spirit on this journey called life. Enough 
on Matthew 10, 1 through 8. There are tons of things to cover in chapter 10, and I want to cover every verse. I don't want to miss a single instruction from Jesus. Yeah, I see those hungry looks. Don't freak out. I decided early on this week that we're going to take two weeks on this, so we'll still beat the Methodist to the chicken. We're going to move on to verses 9 to 15. Verses 9 to 15 will give us another set of instructions. They were kind of hinted at when we read Mark 6. You're going to hear some things that you probably heard there. They give us another set of instructions concerning what should concern us or what we should concern ourselves with as we go about living in the kingdom. Jesus' directions are worth paying attention to. Here's what he says. Starting at verse 9, this is Matthew 10, 9 to 15, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. So Jesus wants his posse to know that they've got everything that they need for their trip. They've got money enough. They've got the right clothes and shoes. Housing is all taken care of. They don't need to fret over all this stuff. He's got it covered, and he'll provide what's needed when it's needed. I'm guessing maybe he made these statements so that he didn't have guys going home to get stuff and failing to come back. Nothing would get done if they were stressing over finances. Do I have enough saved up to go or clothes? What am I going to wear or shelter? Where am I going to stay? These are the things that we get caught up in sometimes and we get so focused on the things of this world that we miss the opportunities that are around us to do kingdom work. Don't we? We fret and stew over the immediate stuff and miss out on the eternal. And Jesus spoke words to fretters like you and me. They're recorded in Matthew chapter 6. We didn't cover them when we were in that chapter because we were focusing on the not doing righteous things in front of people to be seen by them, stuff in that chapter. But we're going to go back and read them. Hear Jesus speak. These are his words from Matthew six twenty-five to 34. They're most likely familiar to you if you've been in the church all your life. If they're not, they're good commands. Here we go. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Yes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
Seek first, foremost, top priority, God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Isn't this the very work he's calling his followers to in Matthew 10? I think it is. God's got your needs covered. As you do his work, you don't have to worry about stuff. Concern yourself with the assignment that you've been given and the stuff will be provided. Did you notice Jesus gave instructions on how to know if they were interacting with the right people? They'd be welcomed by those that they had been sent to. God's blessing would spill over on the man they were to speak to or the family they were to minister to. Are there friends or neighbors who are pretty responsive to your message right now? Are you seeing evidence of even slight movement toward God in your family? Well, praise God. He's at work. The kingdom of heaven has come near. God gave instructions for dealing with people who rejected their message as well. If the person they greeted, cursed at them, sent them away, rejected their words, it wasn't their problem. It's not your problem if that happens to you. It's not their problem. God was going to take care of the rabble-rousers. They were supposed to just keep moving, shake this dust off their feet. There were plenty who would hear them out and experience kingdom power at work in their lives. They were to harvest where the grain was ripe, and if it wasn't ripe, keep moving. One word of caution. Don't assume a hostile person will always remain hostile. It might be that they're not ready to hear yet, not ready to respond to the good news. It may be that they come back to you 20 years from now and say, what you told me years ago, it made a difference in my life. Remember what we learned a few weeks ago as we were talking about the hogs and dogs passage in Matthew 7, 6. Jesus said, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus' words in this verse follow immediately that conversation about planks and specks. And it seems to imply that if you're helping a brother with a speck and he swats your hand away, that you turn him over to God. Say, God, deal with him. He's showing his followers what to do when someone continually rejects their attempts at restoration. When repeatedly rebuffed, it seems that you and I are freed from continued obligation to point an erring one in the right direction. Jesus seems to say that we're free to walk away so that we aren't torn to pieces. What do you do when someone's unreceptive? Move on, but keep praying. In God's timing, your faith for their salvation, we talked about that last week, your faith for their salvation may bring them around. Until then, hold your tongue around the antagonistic woman. You've got plenty out there who are looking for good news who will listen. Let me read you another short passage from the book of Acts. This one's found in chapter 19. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. Acts 19 8 to 10 says, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. 
So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So Paul is living out Jesus' instructions. He's not stressing over those who scoff at the message. He simply redirects his energies and spends time with those who will listen. For two years, he spoke the good news. And did you catch what Luke wrote in verse 10 about his success? All who lived in the province heard the word of the Lord. Everybody. I firmly believe that there are plenty of folks in Pratt and surrounding area or wherever you find yourself on any given day who are willing to receive the good news from your lips and from mine. Perhaps if we'd risk a little rejection from those who aren't ready to listen, we'd find those who are eager to hear. God is not done with his church. If he was, we'd be in heaven. He is at work all around us. He calls us out. Come join me in my harvest work. May God grant us the faith and the courage needed to accept his summons. May he show us what to do wherever we are today and the next day and the next day and all that specific stuff. May we get it and see it and do it. And may he bring together believers with whom we can work for the kingdom. May he fulfill his promises to give us all that we need as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And may he lead us to those who are open and receptive and ready to listen and believe. Maybe you're already talking to him. Good. Keep it up. Don't lose heart. So it's time for us to respond to God's word. And I'm going to invite you to pray about what God would have you to do with what you heard, because it does no good to have it go in one ear and go out the other and do nothing with it between. Would you ask God to show you the folks around you whom he has been preparing for your word, for his word through you, and for your loving actions? Would you seek opportunities in this coming week in the kingdom and the work in the harvest field? I offer a few moments of silence now for you to pray and consider God's word to you. I don't suspect the time will be long enough. If it's not, continue praying every day that God would show you what he has for you. So let's just take a few moments right now and respond in our hearts to God. Uh, talk to him about what he wants. God, we admit that we are far too often far too timid that we worry more about the rejection of others than we do about whether they're going to be eternally damned God change our hearts give us opportunities this week to speak up and to act in righteous ways and to draw people to you Bring brothers and sisters in Christ close to us so we can do it together and not be uh, intimidated by the world. We'll have each other to encourage and spur one another on so we keep doing the things that you've given us to do. God, compel workers to go into your harvest field. Amen. I want to close this morning.
by reading once again Jesus' command to pray for harvest workers. I think we need to be reminded of this directive all the time. Listen to what Jesus says and do as he instructs. This is Matthew 9, 37 to 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.